just let me know if there's a problem. Will do. Um, Alright. Oh, yeah. And just by way of introductions, uh, Mark, uh, this is Breck and Kirsten. Mark is the guy in the Pearl Jam hoodie. And uh, I think uh, Mark might have met at least Rebecca, maybe Kirsten at Dragon Con a couple years ago. Um, I seem, I remember, there's faces that are familiar to me right now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Paul is uh, Mark's brother. They're both in Milton, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto, basically. Yeah. We're like five minutes away from the airport at Pearson, really, is kind of where we are. Yeah. <laughs> so. so I've been up here for like two weeks and haven't been out be able to go over and say, hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been weird. Yeah. So. It's a weird situation, but. Um, all right. Is everybody, everybody good to go? Thumbs up. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well then let's get started. So, uh, welcome back dear listeners to dance robot dance. This is our 199th episode. I am Tim coming to you from a hotel room in Mississauga, Ontario, my temporary abode. And with me, I've got, I've got Mark and Paul, both from Milton. Hi guys. What up y'all? And we've got some special guests with us tonight. So I'd like uh, all of our listeners to welcome my friends, Rebecca coming to us from Atlanta. Hello. And Kirsten coming us to us from Glasgow, Scotland. Hello. That's the only time I'm going to attempt to do a Scottish accent because it will be absolute <laughs> oh, hot fucking. Yeah, it'll be absolute hot <laughs> fucking garbage. Uh, so, <laughs> so feel free to take take the piss out of that. So yeah, Rec and Kirsten, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit later about uh, they are both deeply involved in uh, Tolkien fandom and the OneRing.net, which is like the largest Tolkien fan website on the internet that's been around for. 20 plus years now so uh but they are yeah so they're gonna sort of tell us about their experiences and stuff with that so i'm very happy to have them on i've known both of them for quite a while now and uh they're gonna tell some some cool stories and fan experiences and meetings with famous people and all that kind of cool stuff but before that let's get into our nerdy news for the week a little little bits and pieces um, i'm gonna get the sad stuff out of the way right off the bat there were some not necessarily nerdy, but definitely major entertainment uh, deaths this past week. First one was Jerry Stiller, who our generation will probably know best as playing George Costanza's dad on Seinfeld. He was also, uh, I mean, he's Jerry St- or Ben Stiller's father, did a lot of other movies and comedy TV shows and stuff like that as well. Um, he was 92, so good long life, but wanted to mark that one. Yeah, very sad. There was a video that was posted a retrospective of all the times that he made the Seinfeld cast laugh. And particularly uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus just couldn't couldn't hold it together during one scene, uh, which made me die for like uh, five straight minutes. But it was great. <laughs> he was a funny guy, even though yeah. I don't like Seinfeld at all. <laughs> I do love Julia Louis-Dreyfus, though, so there's that. You gotta watch Veep. Gotta yeah, watch Veep. Veep is yeah. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, very talented guy, very funny guy, and oh, and I think everybody's Festivus will be a little bit sadder this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have to do those feats of strength with tears streaming down our faces kind of thing. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) The next one was a legend, I mean, one of the sort of founders of rock and roll, uh, Little Richard, who sort of laid the foundation for, was one of the artists that uh, laid the foundation for rock and roll, sort of his boogie-woogie music uh, in the 50s, passed away at the age of 87. So not necessarily an era of music we talk about a whole lot on the podcast. You know, we're more 90s, 2000s kind of thing, and but you know, the influence is definitely notable and, and well-felt. Yeah. Yep. My early rock and Motown playlists tend to feature a lot of uh, 
little Richard. And so yeah. I was sad to mm. sad to hear that. And also on RuPaul's Drag Race, one of the best snatch game performances ever was Kennedy Davenport doing Little Richard, which was hilarious. But yes, our our fruities will be a lot less tootie now. Very sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so well, that's the kind of uh, the sad news out of the way. I mean, we can get into pretty exciting news. Uh, the next bit is something that we've been discussing for a while and basically had assumed was going to happen, but now we got an official announcement of it. Uh, a new Star Trek series was announced, which is Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is the new Captain Pike on the Enterprise series. So it's Anson Mount as Christopher Pike, Ethan Peck as Spock, uh, and Rebecca Romaine as the nameless number one so you know this is just uh, the spinoff of discovery that we've all been wanting because we have not been crazy about discovery yeah and they were they were talking about it yesterday saying that it's going to be a more like self-contained episodic kind of show also like that writers are saying this right now like they want to do classic kind of trek stories with this show and i'm just like that is what that's what mark wants so like don't fuck this up boys because this is the show this is the show for me at this point, hopefully. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm very excited. I'm actually excited. Yeah, Rebecca Romaine came around like and stuck around to do an actual series because she's a big name. And like being yeah. like third third billing on a show is probably not super interesting for her. But uh, <laughs> I'm excited that she's there because she was awesome uh, as number one. So I'm. Yeah, whereas Anson Mount is probably just looking for anything to stop people from remembering his involvement in that Inhuman series. I mean, like he had done Hell on Wheels and stuff too, right? Like he was—he's an established, very, very handsome actor that I think most people will gladly forget that he was in God that awful Inhuman show. We can all <laughs> for- collectively forget that Inhumans existed and just like, you know, yeah. and never speak of it again. Maybe agreed. We're trying. Agreed. But sometimes I have like PTSD because I actually watched the whole fucking season. I only watched the first two episodes. I couldn't get through any more of it than that. But uh, if he can get on a Star Trek show, and apparently he's been the holdup, like he was kind of the, the holdup because he wanted oh, really? the show to be a particular way. Like he wanted it to be kind of a classic Trek show. Hmm. And they were like, oh, we're going to do like a big arc. And he was like, I don't want to do that then. And he was the one who was holding up the process, apparently. And he got his way. So yeah. Anson Mount sounds like an actual Star Trek fan on top of everything else. So. I am on board for Captain Pike. Let's do this shit. What does he say on the show? Punch it? Punch it. Let's punch uh, it. Yeah, hit it. Hit it. Hit it. Hit it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, hit it. Yeah. Either way. Rebecca Kirsten, have either of you been watching the Star Trek Discovery stuff with like the classic Enterprise? I have not. Yeah, because I don't get the CBS channel and I've been oh, reluctant to pay and for another yet another streaming service although i think i've run out of everything on netflix it's no longer really recommending anything anymore so <laughs> i think that means i've watched it all so i might just because i would like to watch the rest of picard i still haven't seen all of that and i am curious to to see discovery i, I have seen any episodes of that yet so it's real pretty that's that's what i'll say for discovery yep that's all i'll say for discovery for right now on something that we uh enjoyed a lot more than star trek discovery we got a couple more bits of casting news for star trek the mandalorian uh star wars star wars fuck why do i always get trek how dare you it's the fucking cardinal geek sin and we talk about them interchangeably constantly on this podcast so like it's it's always me bringing up trek and you bringing up star wars and us trying not to get confused by the two. i mean i i'd pay good fucking money to watch uh watch like fucking captain pike go up against a bunch of mandalorians though i would 
absolutely yeah. watch that crossover. <laughs> that would be the only crossover I would really want from those franchises right now, but I would watch that crossover. Yeah. So, so yes, we're getting more uh, uh, casting information about uh, season... Well, I mean, this isn't really casting information at this point, because season two of Mandalorian is fucking filmed. They're in post-production, yeah. which is why it, it, the release date for it hasn't been pushed back. Um, but they're starting to uh, give us little, like, nuggets of like these are the people that are in it and uh katie stackoff uh who's best known for playing starbuck on the 2003 battlestar galactica series is going to be reprising a role that she voiced on the clone wars uh animated series um who's a mandalorian character yeah oh katan Kreese, who is uh ends up being sort of a reluctant leader of mandalore that takes her fucking helmet off all the time. So it's going to be interesting to see how they reconcile that with the Mandalorian. Like, no, you must never take off your helmet. <laughs> well, it's Katie Sackoff. Like, do you not want to see her take her helmet off? Cause it's I do, true. but like, <laughs> wasn't she the one that isn't that the character that had the, was like the, the dark saber holder too. Like that's why that yeah. character is coming in here. So like, that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. There was another casting on this too. Did you see who else got cast on the show? Timothy Oliphant. Fucking A right, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, fuck justified, man. Deadwood. Deadwood. (laughs) Yeah, that one they haven't announced like who he's gonna be playing or anything, or whether it's like a recurring role or like a a cameo or anything like that. We don't know the same for Katie Sackoff. We don't know whether she's gonna be in a bunch of the season or just a little bit or what. So Well, the man was born to be in Westerns, because that's all he does is Deadwood and Justified and stuff like that. And uh so like him fitting into Mandalorian is gonna be like I feel like that's a pretty smooth fit to put uh, Timothy Oliphant slouching cowboy into the slouching cowboy Star Wars show that they're doing. So yeah, <laughs> good. Big ups on that one. Indeed. See, we got more information about George Miller's next project. Uh, we'd been hearing, you know, George, George Miller's of Mad Max fame and, uh, you know, Fury Road was a fucking insane masterpiece. Yeah. Where's my sequel? Like I want more Mad well, Max. <laughs> apparently what we're getting is a Furiosa prequel. I'll take it. Oh, so that's what he's working on a script for right now. And he had thought about maybe doing Charlize Theron and like de-aging her for the part. But now apparently he's looking at just getting younger actors to do it, which is fine. I mean, if fucking the Irishman has told me anything, it's that you can go too far with that de-aging shit. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And like also recasting in the Mad Max universe isn't something like, are we going to be sad about that? We lost Mel Gibson and got Tom Hardy the last time. So I'm sure that he'll pick somebody who can, you know, do the goddamn work. So yeah, but I just I love Furiosa. Charlize oh, yeah. Theron did such a, like she was the star of that movie for me. So like mm-hmm. it should be. She is the main character of that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not Max. No. So. Yeah. And Max is always besides the first one is always now like a guest in his own movies, and so like having Furiosa Works perfectly. Yeah, and I I depend like I'm waiting for casting to see if this is going to be any good, but I think. I trust George Miller now, so it's fine. It's all fine. He gets a freebie after Fury wrote from me, yeah. regardless. You know what I mean? Definitely. Like, I'm going to go see whatever his next movie is just because Fury Road broke my brain the first time I saw it. It was so good. So, <laughs> the next thing I have is uh, gaming news. Uh, Nintendo has announced a new Paper Mario game that's coming to the Switch in July called Paper Mario The Origami King. I've never played the Paper Mario games. They look like a lot of fun and games that I would enjoy. I just you know, don't have the time. But uh, I know that they're pretty beloved. Yeah, they became kind of a one of the uh, pseudo-successors to Super Mario RPG from the Super Nintendo era. There were the Mario and Luigi games on the portables and the Paper Mario games on GameCube and the, the home consoles. Yeah. 
and it was really weird. We we were all expecting this to be included in like the Nintendo Direct that we were expecting to replace the E3 announcements and things like that. So the fact that they just kind of like unceremoniously dropped this, like here you go, is kind of weird, and also not giving fans of the this particular branch of the Mario franchise a lot of hope for the quality of it because people have been like the last one was Sticker Star. And people didn't like it that much compared to like the the original Thousand Year Door from GameCube. I think that was GameCube era. That was that was GameCube, yeah. Yeah. So I am excited for it, but and we'll likely buy it, but we'll see. When did that get announced? Because we were Paul and I were just talking about yeah. What was it this week? Okay. It was actually just after we had that conversation about like what is Nintendo going to do for the holidays? Yeah, because uh, we were just talking about like Nintendo didn't really seem to have a big firm plan for the holiday 2020 release. holiday release. And I was kind of wondering if maybe Metroid Prime 4 had like originally been slotted into that spot and then has been now been moved out. So you need to see the trailer for for this Mario uh, Paper Mario game because there is a Metroid Easter egg at the end of it which you Son of a watch. bitch. I'll watch that now. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's it's just like a little comedy bit but it is it was definitely like hey, we know you want it. Here you go. Here's our the this is the little drop of whatever that we're going to give you in regards to Metroid. Metroid. Oh Jesus! Keep making me wait, Nintendo. <laughs> Let's see. Next one is an audio drama, and we don't usually talk very much about audio dramas, but this one is. We need to talk about this one. Yeah, Neil Gaiman Sandman audio drama, which just has a fucking stellar ass voice cast. So I'm I'm gonna go through here. Uh, I mean, Neil Gaiman's gonna be narrating it. He's got James McAvoy doing Morpheus, playing Dream. It's fucking genius casting right there. Like that's that's awesome. So. Yeah. Got Andy Serkis as Matthew the Raven, uh, Michael Sheen as Lucifer, uh, Baby Neurith as the Siamese Cat, uh, Baby Neurith, what people will remember from uh, Star Trek. Oh, which Star Trek? Oh, no, she had one bit part in uh, TNG. TNG. But she, that, she's Lilith in Cheers and Frasier. Oh, right. Frasier. Yeah. 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 She was in Frasier. Um, and Rizamod is the Corinthian Cat Dennings playing Death, which I think is amazing casting. That's gonna yeah. be gonna be amazing, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Taron Edgerton as John Constantine, which is an interesting choice. But I think if it's like a young Constantine, I guess I can see. Well, I mean, it's a voice cast; you can't really tell. Well, yeah, and Sandman takes place early in Vertigo Constantine's life, so like he would be a younger. Yeah, I mean, there was like his birthday was this week. Uh, original Constantine, he should be like sixty-seven now. Okay. The official Constantine, like the Vertigo Constantine that aged with the book, would be like in his late 60s now. So mm-hmm. that book happened real early in his life or like in his career as John Constantine. So, yeah, there are a couple of other uh, notable. So uh, Arthur Darville, who played Rory yep. on uh, Doctor Who, one of Eleven's companions, is playing w- William Shakespeare, which I'm guessing is probably a cameo part or something. Yeah. And then what was the other one? Oh, Joanna Lumley, who's a huge uh, UK personality as Lady Johanna Constantine is that Constantine's mother? No, it's uh, his grandmother. It's one of his ancestors. Yeah, I think it's his great or great great grandmother or something like that. But I mean, how often do you get a voice cast that looks that crazy? That's. I mean, I I really hope they animate this at some point too, because like that voice cast is way too good to be. Well, I mean, it's an audible book, right? Going to be a Sandman show. I mean, they've been talking about that for thirty years, but. 
Yeah, we report on it every couple of weeks because they make announcements. And then we kind of we're like, maybe this will happen this time. It's like 200 episodes later and we're like still talking about it. Yeah, this will probably be the closest that we get to a series for yeah. a little while. But I'm I'm really excited and I'm curious to see if they get the rest of the endless to come in and who they'll get to play like Delirium and yeah. Despair. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, this one is for me as a Disney Parks nerd that has not gotten to ride uh, Star Wars Ride of the Resistance yet, which is like sort of the big flagship attraction at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Um, they've made a virtual ride of it um, because it COVID hit like so soon after uh, this ride opened that um, I guess they just want people to like be able to experience it without having to wait for the parks to reopen. So I have not watched it because I, I mean, I've watched like videos of the ride. I have not watched like this visual uh, virtual ride kind of thing, but I think that's cool for them to do. I mean, it's like a 15 minute kind of overall experience start to finish. So. Yeah. And for those of us that were at Hollywood studios the Friday before they closed the park and still couldn't <laughs> ride, ride it, couldn't get on yes. it. And even, <laughs> even begged and uh, lied a little, even to try to get on it. And but... <laughs> No, yeah, that I'm, didn't work though. It's still it's still a little painful. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would have done it. I was like, dude, what would you like? What can I give you in return for it? But now <laughs> I wasn't offering what he was buying, so you know. It's, yeah. I don't I don't think the Disney employees are encouraged to take sexual favors for <laughs> admission to, to, to attractions. That's I think that's against the, the Disney uh, Disney brand a little bit. Probably, probably. <laughs> yeah, but they were all gonna be out of work soon, so they and they knew it at that point. So I mean Yeah. I got nothing to lose, so sorry, right. but you have to be too socialist for me to take you up on that offer, so yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> um but that was everything I had unless anybody had anything to add. Negative. All right, well, then we can move on to our Geek of the Week. Geek of the Week. Which is the segment where each of us sort of recounts the nerdiest thing we've done in the past week or so. So let us go to our guests first. Kirsten, what's the geekiest thing you've done in the past week? The geekiest thing I have done in this past week, and I did check with Kalasiri that I was allowed to say this. Kalasiri is one of the four founders of the OneRing.net. And we're actually in the process of redesigning the website. And Ooh. so there's a, a, a chap who is a web designer who got in touch and was like, hey, I would like to volunteer to do this for you guys. He's actually done, he's big into Doctor Who fandom and he's done one of the big Doctor Who websites. I can't remember what it is actually, so I should have checked that. But <laughs> So then Kalasuri got in touch with me and said, do you want to, chat with this guy and so the three of us have had a couple of meetings now and we are working on revamping the one ring.net in preparation for the onslaught of the Amazon series so yeah absolutely the thing that I have done this week is working on revamping the website I mean it's not like a super outdated website by any stretch I don't want our listeners that haven't seen it to you know get the idea that it desperately needs a revamp but like yeah I mean no uh, not at all but Kalasuri who's the original webmaster he's very hot on staying up with trends and so from his point of view he is like oh my god it's so dated no one else going to necessarily think that yeah but and when this chat volunteered just like got in touch as a fan and was like hey i'm a web designer that's what i do for a living and i would love to have a go at revamping your site and kalasari was like yeah great go for it so 
That's awesome. We should be able to um, to unveil that. I think I don't know exactly when it'll be, but sometime later this summer. We won't lose well, any. Of well, before the, the Amazon series comes out, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we won't lose any of the things that are beloved by our longtime fans. We'll make sure that all of those things are still present, but it'll just be a little more, maybe a little more mobile friendly. You know, for people looking at it on their phones or whatever. And, yeah. So yeah, it's that. That's kind of exciting. We're breaking news. You hear it here first, folks. <laughs> the one ring.net getting a redesign in 2020. <laughs> you literally did hear it here first because I think even the rest of the one ring staff don't know that at the moment, which is why I had to check the council if I was allowed to say it on this. It's all right. I'm assuming they don't listen to our fucking podcast anyway, so they probably won't <laughs> actually find out from this. I, I didn't know, so that's it's news to me. There we go. <laughs> Nobody knows, but now they do. All right. And Rebecca, how about you? So what's your Geek of the Week? Probably the nerdiest thing or geekiest thing is also connected to the OneRing.net. I've been uh, working with another staff member to put together uh, some weekly 5K races, Tolkien-themed 5K races. Hmm. And, you know, they can be walked, ran, done on your elliptical, whatever is the most convenient for people to do, which is kind of something we thought would be fun for our readers, you know, get some exercise, you know, share their photos online with us and connect with each other a little bit more. And so we just put up the most recent one yesterday or Friday. And I think this coming Friday will be the last one. And then we also have little finisher certificates that you can print out and just so that you can, you know, show yourself that, you know, you've done something productive with your time off. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, and what have some of the names, I know some of the names have been kind of fun themed. What have the names of the, the runs been so far? Oh, there was, uh, I think, let's see, the most recent one is uh, Run to Rivendell. There was a Moria themed race. Yeah, that's oh, this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... looking at this one right now. It's five, yeah. five meters through Moria. Yes, that's the most recent what? one. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it five meters through Moria? I I got outvoted. I I was like that five. Yeah, I don't know why it's five meters because that's not really that far to run. <laughs> <laughs> Just somebody somebody was real attached to the alliteration. Maybe you have to dig down five meters. Like you have to mine five meters. That yeah. would be a lot of work. That's more of a workout than a five k. I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you're a dwarf, though, that seemed like that wouldn't be that big of a. <laughs> an issue you're used true. to it this is true these are the kind of discussions that fucking tolkien have fans have folks <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome let's go to mark what's your gig of the week i'm i'm catching up to the hickman like relaunched x-men books i would mean paul and i reviewed house of x and powers of x a couple months ago and uh i'm a trade waiter so i've been waiting for issues to pile up a little bit so that i can get back into it and i did this week and it's been quite good so, yeah, I'm not quite like through it and caught up yet, but this new run of X-Men, this new era of X-Men, yeah, uh, and I'm sorry to ruin the Tolkien circle, <laughs> you know, but uh, we'll get back yeah, to it. My, so, shoot yeah, it. I'm sure you guys will get back to it eventually. But so, yeah, though, the, uh, the X-Men this past year have been kind of back and it's been like now that I'm actually reading it, I'm like, yeah, they are actually back. This is actually quality X-Men writing again. So if you are not reading those uh, Hickman led X-Men books, then and you are an X-Men fan, you should probably get your shit together and get those books read, I guess. So, because they're really good. Nice. Uh, Paul, what's your Geek of the Week? 
I was going to say that I finished my community rewatch, but just today they dropped season five of Shira and the Princesses of Power, which was the final season. And I, I just, I've already watched six episodes of it and I'm halfway through already. And it so far is excellent. I am just living for it. I love this Shira. This has been a great uh, reboot for the franchise. And I hope that they, I don't know, I know that this is the end of this particular series, but hopefully they will, this team of animators and showrunners and whatnot will do something else because it's excellent. So yeah, just loving it so far. Nice. Uh, that comes around to me, my geek of the week. Uh, I posted on Facebook about, as my as listeners know, I am currently sort of stuck in a hotel room right now, and I'm also a big Disney parks nerd, and been definitely getting a little bit of cabin fever. But one of the things I've done to alleviate that is been watching a lot of the Disney parks resort TV loops on YouTube, and the <laughs> with the theory being like to try to trick my brain into thinking like. I'm not staying in just any hotel. I'm staying in a hotel at one of the Disney parks. And maybe I'll get to go park hopping once I finish up my work for the day. Instead of being stuck in a fucking hotel in Mississauga by the airport with a barking dog and a stinky turtle living in a big plastic tub. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, it works until I finish work. And then I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I don't get to go to Disneyland or Disney World. Do you have Tim? Do you have of pictures of Space Mountain taped over the windows? Yeah. So and when you look out, you're 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 like, oh, I'm I'm actually here. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it's I'm living in a world full of fucking delusion right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have some like little bottles of shampoo and stuff with Mickey Mouse ears from Disneyland Paris. So you know, I yeah. go to my bathroom and be like, oh look, hotel toilet. Yeah, <laughs> that's what my when I was staying in my sister's basement, like that's one of the things my sister and I uh, sort of bond over and have in common is our love of the Disney parks. And she uh, keeps those little shampoo bottles and toiletries, too. So like when I was staying in her basement, that's what she had the fucking like bathroom her like <laughs> guest bathroom stocked with was like fucking Disney Disney World Hotel toiletries and shit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, All right. Well, with that, we can move on to our. Meat of the episode. Stupid fat hobbit meats. <laughs> well, that was good. <laughs> probably, probably not as good as the Andy Circus uh, Reels in the Dark uh, chapter that I need to go back and watch because they posted it online. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so as we already mentioned, uh, we have Kirsten Rebecca here with us, who are long-term staffers and and long-term have been involved for many years with uh, the one drink.net, which is uh, abbreviated as torn. So you'll probably the one, hear it. The one drink. <laughs> that too. <laughs> you'll probably hear people refer to it as uh, torn on this episode. And for those not familiar with the one ring.net, it is, uh, I would say the best known and largest Tolkien fan website on the interwebs. Sort of the, the about section on the website uh, says, uh, founded in 1999 by a group of like-minded Tolkien fans so anxious for the coming Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films that uh, that they were gathering up every scrap of production information to be found, the OneRing.net continues today in bringing fans the latest news on the beloved figures involved in the making of the wildly popular Lord of the Rings movies, as well as the newest information available on upcoming productions, Tolkien-centered events, new publications, and fan gatherings. 
Uh, interesting that they they only mention the wildly popular Lord of the Rings movies <laughs> and maybe not the not the wildly popular Hobbit movies. <laughs> updating uh, the website. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be the major update to the website. Is this is going to be? <laughs> they're going to talk more about the Hobbit movies. Yeah, we're going to correct that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rebecca goes by Deej on the website. So if you're ever looking at like the bylines on the articles, you can see articles that she's done. You know, there's plenty over the past you know few years. Um, and Kirsten as well uh, goes by Green Dragon on the website. And uh, again, you can see on the bylines who's writing what. And most recently, I think did the knockoff March Madness uh, tournament <laughs> for like greatest Lord of the Rings movie. Or trilogy moments kind of thing as well. Yeah, and we so, yeah, didn't include The Hobbit in that as well. That did, but, but yes, that's true. Almost none of the Hobbit scenes got to the first round. They were all voted out in the first round, pretty much. Hmm. Which is a shame because for their flaws, the Hobbit movies have a lot of amazing moments. Like there are, it achieves greatness at many points. It's just punctuated by. Peter Jackson masturbating all over a fucking script, um, and Philippa Boyan as well. And oh, so, masturbating all over Philippa Boyan? Yeah. <laughs> Both, maybe. <laughs> Por que los dos? Well, that's a, I think that's a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those, that's one of those uh, uh, porn parodies that we got wrong at that uh, trivia night, Rebecca. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and but- So, yeah, uh, I. <laughs> yeah, I, I've known uh, Rebecca for for a long time now. I mean, uh, Alicia and I lived in Atlanta for ten years, and shortly into that, we started hanging out at the Atlanta Tolkien Fan events. And Rebecca is the leader and founder of that Atlanta Tolkien Fan group. Oh, I'm not the founder. Um, and, somebody okay. else founded it. I I've, I took it over from somebody that didn't want to do it anymore. But it's actually technically mm-hmm. been around since I think the Lord of the Rings films. But I took it over. Uh, about ten years ago. Okay, and uh, and then through Rebecca, Matt, Christ, or Kirsten, uh, who is heavily involved in the Dragon Con Tolkien track and uh, does a lot of the panels and hosting and stuff like that as well. So uh, and have uh, become good friends with Kirsten as well over the years and bonded over things Tolkien and non-Tolkien related. So. So I'm happy to have them both on. And basically, uh, the idea was just for us to sort of just mine their experiences and have them talk, share stories about about their involvement in Tolkien fandom, um, you know, since sort of the, the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out and then through the Hobbit movies and everything. Um, and yeah, so did you get, ladies want to say anything else in, by way of introduction? Just it's very nice to be here. It's always fun to talk about geeky things. And, you know, what else are we doing during lockdown? So it's just nice for a chance to hang out with people in fat. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, we had nothing better to do. So <laughs> it's the only reason that that's why I waited this long to have right. them on was because, right. yeah, you know, I tried the scheduling had just been a nightmare in the past. And yeah. finally, yeah. Demand, yeah. Yeah, it's right. very, very true. Right. <laughs> Nothing better to do is why this podcast exists. So exactly, that's <laughs> basically it. <laughs> this is the most. I mean, even before the pandemic, there had definitely weeks where this podcast was the most social interaction I would have that week, kind of thing. <laughs> this podcast is how I socially interact with the world now. So yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I just want to start off by sort of getting a, an idea of uh, Rebecca and Kirsten's sort of history with Tolkien, maybe even pre-Wondering.net. So uh, how did you first get into Tolkien and sort of the wider 
Middle Earth Legendarium. Uh, Kirsten? Well, for me, it was my dad reading it. Um, my dad was a big Tolkien fan in the, well, before I was born, you know, he, he got into it in the like 60s and 70s. And, First uh, gen. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he wasn't, you know, uh, um, he would have been a kid when Lord of the Rings came out. Obviously, I, I should tastefully say on my dad's path, he wasn't born when The Hobbit came out. But um, <laughs> he would have been a kid when The Lord of the Rings came out. But it was really kind of when he was a student in the mid to late 60s that he got into it. And so then when Silmarillion was finally published, he did buy a first edition of that. And then when I was a kid, he was reading The Hobbit really to my brothers, who were quite a lot older than me. And but I insisted on hanging out and listening whilst he was reading it to them, and so that was my introduction to it. And then the backsheet Lord of the Rings movie that my again my dad was showing to my brothers, and that I insisted on watching, and then was absolutely terrified of the rotoscoped ring rates, you know. <laughs> so the fandom goes way back for me to, to kind of when I was like three years old, and I have. My brother had an LP of the from the Rankin Bass Hobbit movie. There was an LP with a sort of read along book that my brother had, and again, I was obsessed with that and listened to it over and over again. And my mum recently unearthed um, like old sketchbooks I had when I was little where I'd drawn a whole epic Battle of Five Armies, my <laughs> cartoon version where the eagles look like seagulls, but you know. <laughs> But attention to detail, the orcs were bleeding black blood. So I was quite impressed that my like six-year-old self had, had done that. Then it wasn't, so it started very early on for me, but then I wasn't a huge Tolkien fan through kind of teenage and student days. I was massively a Star Wars fan. That was my thing. And then at about the time that the prequels kind of killed Star Wars for me, uh, at that same time, the Lord of the Rings movies were being filmed and coming out, and that really reinvigorated the Tolkien fandom for me. Okay, nice. Uh, and and your parents weren't at all concerned that you were drawing orc massacres at six years old? <laughs> um, no, I was actually, I have to say, it was quite good art, and I think they just were like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. This is the the British way of of doing things. You're just like, well, that's probably fine. (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca, how about you? How'd you first sort of get into Tolkien? What's your sort of history with Tolkien in Middle Earth? Uh, Well, I came to Tolkien fandom a lot later than most people. I was a big reader as a kid, but I was more a fan of hard science fiction and horror. Um, Also massive Star Wars fan and Star Trek as well. But when I was in college, I worked at a bookstore and a coworker was a massive Tolkien fan and kept trying to get me to read the books. And I kept saying, I'm not, I don't like fantasy. I'm not a fan of unicorns and elves. I don't, I don't care. And he just kept bugging me and bugging me. He's like, you're going to love these books. It's not what you think it's going to be. They transcend any genre. You just have to read it. And so finally to shut him up, I said, fine, I'll read it. And within, by the end of the first chapter, I was hooked. And I think I read the whole series in about a week. Yeah. And I'm still not a huge fantasy fan, to be honest. I still prefer science fiction, but obviously Tolkien uh, is the exception to that rule. I'm very much the same way. Like I'm not like 
uh, Tolkien and maybe to a lesser extent Game of Thrones are really the only uh, fantasy that I've ever got particularly invested in. And I'm very much more like comic books and, and sci-fi kind of thing. See, I'm much more sci-fi for me. I, I'm not, you know, uh, the certain sci-fi, but kind of the, if you like pop culture sci-fi, like the Star Wars, Firefly, that kind of stuff. But otherwise, no, it's definitely much more fantasy and mythology particularly for me. So you like the swashbuckling sci-fi, but not like the hard Star Trek kind of sci-fi? In a way, the, the sci-fi that kind of crosses over more into that kind of mythology realm, if you like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I will say I was very much aware of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit because when I was a teenager in Michigan, there was a place called Bilbo's Pizza. <laughs> uh, where all the punk and goth kids would hang out, and because we could also get, we'd get served before we turned twenty-one. That has somehow but, fucking escaped the wrath of the Salzens company. <laughs> oh no, it it so actually did. Get, <laughs> or the it actually did. Well, this place in East Lansing, where I lived, uh, did get shut down just before the first Lord of the Rings film came out because of copyright infringement. Even though mm. it had been around since. I want to say 1971, so even before I was born. Uh, yeah, sadly got shut down, but it was uh, it was a great place to hang out, and so I was very much aware of that world. I just didn't really care about it until I started to read the book. I certainly feel you in terms of like yes, t uh, Tolkien for me very much transcends like the the writing itself is just so good, uh, and the the world building is that it really does transcend genre like it doesn't, and that's why like there's so much other fantasy out there that's just like I picture the same way you seem to Rebecca where it's just like yeah it's, there's a fucking like it's all derivative of Tolkien basically it's all like oh hey there's a fucking unicorn and then some elves and they're very slightly knockoff Tolkien elves kind of thing and and all that so I just can't I've tried here and there and I just can't get invested see the fantasy that I would be really into is the fantasy that predates Tolkien the kind of mm. you know when you go back to medievalism yeah, old English romances and medievalism and Spence of the Fairy Queen and that whole rich fairy tale mythology background, that's that's what really floats my boat. Right. All right, so now we've sort of gotten up to around the time that the movies uh, were coming out. So uh, how did each of you first become involved with Tolkien fandom and and, and then the Wondering.net? Let's start with Rebecca this time. Well, I, I had read the books in the 90s, so I read them before the movies came out and was really hesitant when I first heard that they were making films based on these movies, especially so when I found out that it was... The Frighteners. Well, for me, it was, I hadn't seen the Frighteners yet. For, for me, it was the guy that did Meet the Feebles is going to do Lord of the Rings, really. <laughs> I was not totally on board with it until I saw the trailer, which came out about a year before the film did. And then once I saw the trailer, I thought, okay, this actually looks like that world. It, I think it'll be okay. So I went with a bunch of friends on opening night to see it and was just blown away by how good it was i uh, with you know shortly just seeing hobbiton and uh the landscapes in new zealand to me that was middle earth and i was i was i was happy with uh with that trilogy we won't talk about the hobbit but yeah <laughs> <laughs> well the thing is the hobbit even like shares so much of that visual language that like yes, you can still visually. go in there and feel at yeah you can still go in there and feel at home in that world if you you know felt like you were at home in in the in the Lord of the Rings 
world kind of thing. It's just, yeah, the, there's some some story issues, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. visually, <laughs> those movies are still stu- as stunning, but maybe a little bit too much CGI, but mm-hmm. still, you know, the landscapes of New Zealand. Uh, but even after seeing the movies, I wasn't really in, I, I wasn't online at all. For some reason, it never occurred to me uh, at that time that you would go online and talk with other fans about something that you were into. I don't know why, maybe just because I wasn't that computer savvy. (laughs) So it wasn't until 2003 where I went to my first Dragon Con in Atlanta, where I drove from Michigan to Georgia just because I heard that some people from Lord of the Rings were going to be there. And this was at the time where you could just drive down to a convention and buy a ticket when you got there and get a hotel room when you got there. Get a hotel room you can't do. You can still still get day passes. You can still get a ticket, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, we got a weekend pass and we got a hotel room when oh, we wow. got there, which you, you definitely can't do now. No. And went to a speculation panel this on uh, The Return of the King, uh, hosted by some uh, Torn staffers. And I found it really interesting and thought, you know, that, hey, these guys seem to know what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> and went and found them afterwards and started chatting with them. And um, yeah, I think I joined the website right after I got home. Nice. Kirsten, what's your story in terms of first involvement with fandom and then Torn? Yeah, so I I wasn't really interested in the movies coming out for The Lord of the Rings. I They were sort of on my radar. But again, in the build-up, like in 1999 when Torn got going, I was just obsessed with the prequels coming out for Star Wars. And I'd been going around wearing a pin that said Episode 1 for like 18 months. And, you know, and so I was just, my whole focus was on, oh my God, Star Wars is coming back. Little did I, I was, I was that same person. Oh, I, I feel same. I mean, Crush. yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody was like, even me who has gone on record a million times on this podcast being like, fuck Star Wars. Like I'm just over it now. <laughs> that didn't start until episode one came out. We were all hyped as shit for episode one to come out. Oh, yeah. It's just when and episode had- one came out afterwards, we were all like, oh, oh no. <laughs> This is not. What did this you do, George? What, what is going do? on here? And then it's like, maybe the second one will be better. And then it's like, oh, wait. Oh, it got worse. Oh, there's no. a lower place. The yeah, there's a lower place. Be, it's, the third yeah, one has so. to be good, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Star Wars Star Wars is that franchise for, I think, at least two of the three of us, anyway, where we're like, <laughs> we used to really like it, but now it's like, what is happening? Right, I had yeah. the teaser poster that was like Jade Lloyd on Tatooine with the two sons and the Darth Vader shadow yeah. that he was casting. Where everyone was like, "Why is mm-hmm. he casting two shadows?" <laughs> I have the original. Like, the- I worked at a movie theater when that movie came out, and I have that poster like downstairs. I just. I don't know, I should probably do ready, something with ready it. Ready to point. sacrifice it someday in a <laughs> uh, massive pyre. <laughs> no, more like ready to sacrifice it someday to some poor sap on eBay who will pay me a grand for it. Is <laughs> yeah, usually... probably. There you but, go. So, yeah, so, I, so in, in the run-up to the Lord of the Rings movies coming out, the only thing that was really on my radar, I remember the teaser poster of Elijah Woodis Frodo holding the ring in the palm of his hand. And I remember just thinking, oh, God, only in Hollywood, I mean, I know it wasn't filmed in Hollywood, but, you know, my thinking was only in Hollywood would they make a hobbit look cute and sexy. So <laughs> I was just, like, full of disdain for the fact that Frodo was so attractive on the poster. But then when the movie came out, I was at home in the UK. So I was living in America at the time. But I was home in the UK, and it was, you know, Christmas time, and I was at my parents' house, and my dad was like, oh, we have to go and see this. So we went, and I just loved it. So I get back to America and, like, January just after Christmas 
and I'm sitting in my apartment late at night, like I'm obsessing over this movie now and I need to find people online to talk to. So I started just doing a search on my, you know, it was probably like dial-up AOL or something, and uh, <laughs> and and came across the message boards of the OneRing.net and just kind of launched myself straight into that. So like I, I'm in in OneRing terms, fandom terms, I'm a second ager. I didn't predate the release of the movies, but I joined right after the movies came out. Started posting on the message boards. And then quite quickly was like, oh, if there's any opportunity to get together with people, I'd like to do any kind of meetups or anything. And so the, I, I, I tend to be a bit of an organizer. And so I was like, oh, well, maybe I can organize some things. And so I ended up getting involved with like a, a, um, Houghton Mifflin, who published Tolkien in the States. Their headquarters are actually in Boston, which is where I was living at the time. And so they were like looking for people to host like trivia nights in bookstores and do giveaways. So I ended up volunteering to do that. I discovered a movie theater quite far out of the city center in Boston that was still showing the film like the following summer. And so, and you really needed a car to get there, which I didn't have in Boston. So I posted online on Torn to see if there was anyone around who had a car and uh, a chap called Elron Halfelven, who's now one of my closest friends in life was like yeah I'm free I'll go so you know so like in ways like that I started to meet people in real life through the website and get involved with events is that Paul Uh, yeah that's Paul that's Paul okay yeah he was probably I think he was the first one ring person that I met in real life nice and we went to this theater uh the Capitol Many times, because they every year they kept the movies in the theater months after they had gone out of other theaters, and so we would go there a lot. And then we went together to the the, the one ring dot net had these Oscar parties every year uh, following the release of the movies. So for Fellowship, then for Two Towers, and for Turn of the King. And I read about the Fellowship party, and I was determined to go to the party the following year. And so Paul Elron and I went together to LA. For the two towers party and then the following year for the Trevor King party and then I got to know way more people and through that I ended up going to Dragon Con which is uh, where I made more connections but it wasn't until 2007 when Rebecca and I and another friend Alex who goes by CA Hobbit on the One Ring we organized a party together at Dragon Con called Woot Woot and and it was through doing that that we met like Kalasuri and Korva, who are two of the four founders. Like like Hogwarts, the One Ring has four founders. <laughs> and that was when Kalasuri was like, "Hey, do you want to be staff?" And so that's how we got involved with actually doing things officially for the One Ring. And so you, you'd already mentioned some of the Oscar parties and stuff like that, which I've just heard you know, fucking legends about and seen so many cool pictures and stuff like that about. So maybe do you want to talk a little bit more about those Oscar parties and some of the other just generally just fucking go off? Like what are some of the coolest fucking things you've got to do because of your involvement of the wondering.net or, or like Tolkien fandom in general? Uh, yeah, the, for me, so the, the, the Oscar parties were amazing. Although funnily enough, so they, they were incredible. And the return of the King party is legendary. But, for a number of reasons. It sold out in like 20 minutes and crashed the site, which was... And these were, we should we should tell people, these were all like in Hollywood, like on Oscar night, like 
near the fucking like venue where the Oscars are actually happening kind of thing. Right. So these were huge parties with hundreds of people. We did them again for the for the Hobbit and there were still great events and great parties, but not nearly so many people like champing at the bit to come. Who knows why that would be? Uh, <laughs> not, not quite as prestigious as the Lord of the Rings. Right. But the Return of the King party was kind of legendary because it sold out so quickly. It was very, very hard to get tickets. And then on the night, the that was the night that the, the Return of the King had the clean sweep where it won all 11 of the Oscars. Best picture, best director. And yeah. So nominated for 11, won 11. In honor of that, I have an Elvish 11 tattooed on my hip. <laughs> and that night... The cast and crew, Peter Jackson, Elijah Wood, all those stars and everyone, after they left the Oscars, instead of going to the official party, they came to the One Rings party. And so that's why that party is kind of legendary, because those guys all came to our party. They came out on stage. Then With they the went, Oscars. Yeah, they came out waving their Oscars. Yeah. They talked to all the, the hoi polloi, the crowd, and then went and hung out in the VIP section for ages and it's you know like elijah would mention that when he was on the graham norton show here in the uk and stuff like that so those parties are kind of legendary but the return of the king party lost a lot of money for the one ring <laughs> and i mean they just pushed the boat out on it and to my mind that was like really poor management like how do you have a party that's sold out and that epic and you lose money on it so <laughs> Kalasuri, one of the founders who is now one of my closest friends, but the first time I met him, we had a bit of an argument because he was waxing lyrical about the Return of the King party. And I was like, well, I was there as just an ordinary punter. At this time, I wasn't a staff or anything, so I didn't have the IP access or anything. And I was like, let me tell you what some of the problems were with that party. <laughs> so funnily enough, in a way, that's how I got more involved in doing event planning and stuff for the one ring. I was it's like... If you think you can do it better, do it yourself. And Correct. Kirsten said, yes. obnoxious <laughs> enough to be like, yes, then I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the, I have to say the coolest thing, like for me with the One Ring, there's been a lot of amazing opportunities to go to places. Rebecca and I went to Calgary together for Calgary Expo, which was really fun. I went up to Toronto to go to a press event where Richard Armitage was doing press that was really fun that's the only time I've been to Toronto so that was kind of cool that I got to go there and I've met most of the cast certainly from The Hobbit I've met most of the cast and from Lord of the Rings quite a number of them and some of those guys have become good friends and that's really great but I have to say that the, the people that I've met through the fandom are more important in my life than any of the celebrities that I've met I mean, like I said, there's a couple of the celebrities, like one in particular who's become a really close friend. And so that's great. But the close friends that I've made through the, if you like, ordinary people, the non-celebs, meeting those the, people. The plebs, you can say it. Yeah, the, the hoi polloi, you know. But that, <laughs> those are more important and more significant in my life than any, like meeting famous people is fine and cool. And I, like I said, I love the ones who've become friends and who Maybe I can exploit for my real life job, but the actual friends that you make on a like hardcore lifelong level—that's that's the coolest thing about the one for me. 
Uh, Rebecca, what do you have to add? I know you have stuff to add. Oh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get to go to any of the Lord of the Ring parties. I would have loved to. Um, I did get to help out with the Hobbit parties, which, as Kirsten said, were still a lot of fun. And it was really fun to to, to be there, but not quite the same level that the Lord of the Rings <laughs> were, unfortunately. But yeah, um, you know, getting to work with uh, Kirsten and, you know, we've been doing Dragon Con for many years now. And then also going to New York Comic Con. I've worked at San Diego Comic Con. Uh, we got to work at a convention in Germany, which was really fun. And then Calgary. And then, yeah, getting all the people that I've uh, gotten to meet. I mean, you know, like Kirsten, I've met quite a few of the people from both series of films. And I've gotten to go to New Zealand a few times, which is unbelievably cool. Um, <laughs> Oxford. Um, I've even gotten to see the torn servers, which. You know, I guess I could say now I've seen the trifecta of Tolkien fandom. <laughs> but yeah, just the friends that I've made uh, from this. And I wouldn't be living in Atlanta if it weren't for Tolkien fans that I met through the One Ring and Dragon Con. So it's not a stretch to say that it has actually changed my life. That does sound kind of like hyperbole, but it's actually not. It's actually true. <laughs> and and uh, Rebecca, I know you mentioned the New Zealand trips. Um, you got? Did, do you get to go to some of the, or uh, at least one of the premieres in New Zealand? Well, not really. I mean, I was on. I was at the red carpet hmm. for the premiere of the the first Hobbit movie, An Unexpected Journey. So I got to see all the celebs walk by, and got to go to a little party, which was really fun. And uh, Peter Jackson showed up, and Elijah Wood, and some of the guys from Weta. I didn't actually get to go into the movie to see it. I had to wait till I got home to see it. But that was still really exciting. And to, you know, to see how the entire city basically turned into Hobbiton for that premiere. It was, it was pretty cool to, you know, especially ever seeing that kind of thing on, you know, on TV and then be, to be there was, was really fun. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned the the cons and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, a lot of, I mean, us and a lot of our listeners have walked past many of those fan tables over the years at, at various cons. Could you tell us a little bit more about like what it's like attending the con as like a professional running those booths, you know, do uh, doing some of the uh, panels, both panels that involve talent and also more just like fan run panels, which I know is, is, you know, Dragon Con is very dominant with like panels where it's just like discussion or people like, you know, giving even almost academic reviews of, uh, of various content, whether it's related to the movies or just books or whatever. Sorry, Kirsten, do you want to take it? Um, <laughs> well, uh, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's uh, Rebecca can can certainly talk to the the doing the table and all that kind of stuff, and it really depends from convention to convention. You know, like if you're at New York Comic Con, that's much more of a trade show type con. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And so then you're kind of running a a booth that's kind of a stall, if you like. And we we don't sell a lot from the One Ring, but where I should say that everyone at the one everyone who works at the one ring.net is a volunteer the website is completely uh not for profit nobody has ever made any money off of the one ring.net just the, just like our podcast right so <laughs> exactly. back in the day the one ring had a lot of money coming in from advertising revenue things like that and it all went to the cost of keeping the servers going operating the website that kind of stuff 
And then anything that was left over, they donated to literacy charities for children and stuff like that. So there's never been any profit. And, and trust me, back in the day, the founders were offered big amounts of money to sell the website. But they were like, no, this is we're going to keep this the volunteer thing. And so when you go to these kind of cons, if you're working there for torn, you're not making any money. You're maybe getting your hotel room covered. You're maybe getting your pass. But otherwise, you're there because you love it and because you love meeting with fellow fans. And we do sell T-shirts and buttons. We have a license. We are officially licensed by the Sourzades company, Middle Earth Enterprises, to create t-shirts and buttons and so we we do that because again that's the only way we can show up to these things it's the only way we can make money to keep things going is to sell the, the shirts and buttons and things and so a con can be a hell of a lot of work in fact it pretty much always is a lot of work and tiring but it's the pleasure that you get from hanging out like listening to a podcast like this it's the way that it kind of lights up your brain being with like-minded people and sharing your passion with like-minded people and for me that's that's what makes it worth it primarily spending time with Rebecca is what makes cons worth it for me but in addition to that being with fellow fans being able to talk I remember the first time I went to a big Tolkien event and and relishing that shorthand that you can make one tiny reference and everyone gets it that and you're like oh these people speak my language that's that's what's cool about it yeah i, I feel like uh, i mean i know i when i first met you guys like i don't i didn't really have an appreciation for how tied to that table you end up being for so much of the con and like even like i i've gone and got like meals for you guys you know for for you know because you guys have to basically somebody has to be there all the time so like i'll go like pick up food and bring it down and be like here you go now you can actually eat and you know be normal normal humans and like i don't think there's that appreciation for the people that run those uh fan tables at cons uh and how little of the con they actually get to experience when they're attending it sort of as a professional running a fan table or even doing like the the panels and that sort of thing yeah. it's not just it's not just those guys we we all everybody Vendors who has it yeah anybody who's a vendor at a con kind of you know you have to see the con from that perspective because like that's what i've been doing right it's like selling my illustration work at cons and stuff when they happen because they don't anymore but uh yeah that's like you don't see your it's a two-man job you have to send somebody for dinner and stuff like that or whatever like lunch yeah and, right yeah if you're lucky you have some backup to like cover you if there's like something fucking that you just don't want to miss kind of thing and right. yeah and you maybe go off for for an hour hour and a half or something like that but like 80 percent of the day you're at that booth or more yeah. kind of thing yeah, so your perspective on this would have changed if this summer had gone non-COVID there, Tim, because you would have been out of booth with me all summer. <laughs> I was looking forward to that. <laughs> I know it was going to be fun, but uh, well, next summer, you know, yeah. there's always con season. But it's true that you, you are kind of tied. And, but, you know, with DragonCon, I've got to say, I, that's what keeps me going there because DragonCon has got so huge, and obviously we're all waiting to hear what's going to happen this year. They're kind of saying that it's still going to happen, but I just don't think there's any way that it is. We're just waiting for them to officially say, no, it's not going to happen. But DragonCon has got so huge and so crowded that if I weren't working a table, I probably, I don't know if I would really want to go because the table becomes a little refuge. Like you're away from the crowd. You've actually got somewhere you can sit Mm -hmm. down and people kind of come to you rather than you having to spend your day fighting your way 
through the crowds. So there are some advantages in a way to that. And, and I, it may sound a little pretentious to say it, but I, in recent years, I have felt when we were at New York or we're at DragonCon or whatever, that you're kind of providing a service for the fandom. That, you know, things have quieted down in the Tolkien fandom. And at New York Comic Con, we're often the only Tolkien-themed booth. And people come over and they're like, oh, my God, we're so excited that you're here. And, you know, and that's really gratifying. That That is a really nice feeling to be like, yes, we're providing something for the fans so they don't feel like their fandom has gone away. That's interesting that you guys do New York Comic Con. That's such a, like, obviously corporate. comic book comic book focused. Uh, yeah. yeah, corporate and comic book focused con because of, well, I mean, not anymore because I think DC's in LA now. But, like, for the longest time, that was the home con for Marvel and DC, because that's where their offices uh-huh. were, right? So yeah. NYCC was has always been kind of like the comic book guy con, and you don't usually hear about other fandoms going there. It's usually like Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, and like even Star Trek and Star Wars stay away kind of from that con. But that's cool that you guys are there for that, because yeah, obviously it's- you guys have ties to the publishing world that like the way that the comic book industry would also, right? Like you have people printing books and doing that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff in New York and a lot of, like, booths that are just vending cool things that they make, yeah. like, you know, geeky-themed tea, for example, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. And that's kind of cool. And so in a way, we sort of fit into that niche of vending stuff. But the thing about New York is it's a really expensive con to do, buying a booth. Oh, yeah. Place. And so we have to get sponsorship. And even then, we basically just break even on New York. So we're, we're doing it because we want to be present there. We want to be something for the fans to enjoy um, and to make them feel like there is still a talking presence. But it, it, it's, it's hard to break even on that one. I, I really appreciate what Kirsten was saying in terms of having a fan table at those big cons being like almost more of a service. Like I know that is something that at DragonCon, at least, I treat sort of the, the torn table as kind of a, a home base sometimes. Like, most days I'll end up there at least once, maybe a couple of times just to check in. And, you know, you've, you're in a lot of times in just rooms full of fucking strangers, not knowing anybody. So just having like a familiar place with some familiar faces to go like, say hello. And like, and, and you'll be there even for like five minutes when people will come by and say like, Oh my God, I'm so glad you guys are here again this year. Like I want to buy like this shirt and this shirt and this shirt. I'll be back later for them and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's a really nice thing about it. And we've always been in the same spot for a long time now, not always, things have moved around a lot, but since the fan tables moved to the location they're in now, we've always had the same spot at the table. And that's nice because it means people, however big the con gets, they can always be like, oh, we know where we can find the one ring. And it's a low traffic area and it's right across from the right. little filk stage and right. right across from the art show. So, And it's, and it's I mean, nice. Lo- that- not, not low traffic in terms of, like there's still plenty of people to go by, but it's not one of the super crowded right. parts of the lobbies. Right. We're not in the Marriott or anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really nice to think that people feel like we're sort of like a touchstone uh, at Dragon Con where they know they can meet up with other Tolkien fans at our table or at the mm-hmm. event we do on Friday nights at Dragon Con where we have a big Tolkien themed party and where we, you know, fans right. can get together. And that might be the only time during the weekend that they get to see even see each other is um, either at our table or at one of our events. So that's it's really nice to know that, that that's there. That's one of the nice things about the OneRing.net, you know, and I really credit the, the initial four founders for this. That I mean, this is 
you know, 21 years the website's been going, which is absolutely ancient in website terms. And mm -hmm. they were doing things online like before people were doing them. They were creating online communities and ways for people to interact and contribute to the website at a time when really that didn't exist. It was really, it was something that Kalasuri, one of the founders, was really into, was finding ways to kind of push the envelope there. And the, the website has always been, you know, their, their, their kind of tagline is forged by and for fans J.R.R. Tolkien. And it absolutely is by and for the fans. It's always been very much a family-friendly site. So we have people who were kind of young themselves when they found Torn and now they bring their kids to things. And, you know, it's, it's a really, that is all credit to those four founders. And then all the stuff, obviously it's not just me and Rebecca, there's a whole team of staff who do amazing people who do stuff on the West Coast, go to cons there like WonderCon and do amazing work. There's um, Torn, Torn Tuesday Torn at, Scum, at the Scum and Villainy Cantina in LA. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, Cliff and Justin do amazing things with the social media now. Torn Tuesday had this incredible gathering a couple of weeks ago where they had a whole bunch of people from the movies, Mark Ordesky, people from the production side, join them for a discussion and then just this week, they did a, a, a watch along of the Tolkien biopic, Tolkien, with the director. Mm -hmm. So the, the director of that movie kind of joined Torn Tuesday to do a watch along, a, a virtual gathering to watch his movie and discuss it as they were watching. So they do some really, really cool stuff with all the kind of social media stuff that, that Cliff and Justin do. But yeah, it's that team of, of staff people inspired by the folks who founded it. It really worked hard to keep the One Ring a, very much a community. And that is its strength. The only reason it's survived as long as it has as a website is because it, is, it, it feels like home for a lot of people. When you say that, uh, you know, the tagline is forged by and for fans of the Lord of the Rings, my, my immediate thought is at some point is Torn going to like exert its dominion and influence using the, <laughs> the powers <laughs> over the fandom or something like, like the One Ring? <laughs> <laughs> so Kirsten, I know, uh, I mean, both of you have, have done a lot of like panels and stuff like that. Kirsten, you do a lot of panels, at least at Dragon Con and, and other cons as well with some of the talent from the films, whether it's production teams, but a lot of actors and stuff like that as well. Could you talk a little bit, maybe, I mean, obviously you've met a lot of the, you know, if you just want to fucking name drop for like five minutes, that's fine. <laughs> but also how you, uh, how you kind of approach hosting one of those panels with those actors that probably get the same fucking questions like every single time kind of thing and how yeah. you try and make it a little bit different. Like I, I've always been pretty impressed with how you manage those, you know, and how you kind of are able to skillfully navigate around those more banal questions and that kind of thing. And right. right. <laughs> I remember one time I was, I was hosting a panel and the first thing I said right off was, because often when people get questions, the question is, can I have a hug? And I was like, I'm just <laughs> going to say right off the bat, no, can I have a hug questions? And it was with Sean Astin and Brad Dirk. And Sean Astin, like, ran over and hugged me. And he's like, you're now my proxy hugger. Anyone else can I have a hug? You pass it on to them on my behalf, you know. Oh, uh, Sean Astin is a national treasure. He, he <laughs> is. He is a, a, a sweetheart. But, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. In terms of... Being the cast and that, to me, 
So I should say my real life job is that I work in theater. I'm a stage director. And so I try and when I'm doing questions, think about the craft and talk to them about what they do and how they approach their craft. Because to me, that's much more interesting for them to talk about. And in the end, it's more interesting for the fans to hear about. You don't need another kind of, you know, oh my God, did you like being- Do you have any fun stories from the set? Right, right. And it's more interesting to delve into how they approach their craft and their preparation and the technique that goes into it. Because again, it's very easy. Like nobody ever wins best actor Oscars or even gets nominated particularly, although Ian McKellen did. But generally speaking, fantasy films like comedy films tend to get overlooked because there's this sense of you're not really acting. If you're not sort of Mm -hmm. bleeding and crawling on the floor, you're not really acting. Like what was that? What was that? Um, Leonardo DiCaprio movie where he's like spent the whole movie crawling under a basket. The Revenant. Oh, the the Revenant. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Revenant. Oh, where he fi- is that? That's the one he finally got his fucking Oscar for, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. Oscar. He basically had to get raped by a bear to win it, but <laughs> exactly. Like, oh no. We all got to suffer for our craft, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in fact, of course, all of the people doing these movies, even if you know we feel the Hobbit ended up being too CGI heavy, blah blah blah, those actors are not applying their craft any less they're not going in there being like well i'll just phone it in they're all really you know trying to create if a anything character and if anything they're applying it more because they're having to act through 80 pound body suits and right. crazy prosthetics and everything and against tennis balls also right like yes. it's not like they're standing in front of oh like God. a real dragon or whatever like Merton. that yeah, yeah like that, that fucking that that uh um, behind the scenes footage of uh, of Ian McKellen in Bag End, where it's where he's just in the green screen set and having so much trouble, yeah. just finding himself and starts like fucking breaking down and shit. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if there were any justice in the world, Andy Serkis would be like a three time nominee and a one at least a one time winner for oh yeah Solomon, for two towers specifically. But yeah. you know. Yes. He was nominated for supporting for Two Towers, wasn't he? I don't know, but he should have I don't think so. No? No, I think no. he I don't think was the only person to get an acting nomination for, for the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's still there's still some controversy about like CG mocap yeah, kind yeah. of performances and stuff. Like they're talking about it uh, the last couple of years, either like including them in the standard acting performances or creating an entirely Special separate category, right. category, <clears throat> category right. for that, which would just we as well just call it the Andy Circus category or like the Andy Circus <laughs> Andy Circus Award. Award, yeah, because like that he's the one who's perfected it basically, right? Yeah. And like he's the one who's still directing movies now where he's continuing to improve the technology too. Cause like that mm-hmm. he did all those the apes movies, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of him leading the technology for mocap to improve so that his performance could be right captured more accurately and then also all the other actors like that kind of stuff so andy circus like it's funny because like you guys want to talk about him in the lord of the rings capacity but he's become a giant figure in the effects and like behind the scenes production world because he's done so much work the last couple years Mm -hmm. on on that mocap and all that kind of stuff and getting those performers recognized properly and like you know, he's one of those guys like Doug Jones or anybody else who's like likes to work under a lot of prosthetics or do mocap stuff. They don't get the props they deserve. Like, and the, we build 
all our franchises on these guys putting that makeup on or doing those CG performances. So yeah, yeah I, I think, think should be people forget that there that. is an actor underneath all of that or behind that yeah. computer. It's, it's ba- you know, all of that work is based on a human being actually there acting and yeah. Right. And Andy Serkis actually set up his own studio, the Imaginarium here in the UK. Yeah. And they've been absolutely instrumental in bringing a lot of projects to life using these newer technologies. Yep. Yeah. He's uh, they've been doing crazy work on a completely different scale outside of this fandom, just getting the technology working better for what doing what he does. And it's like following his career has been fascinating in that regard as he's gotten better at doing it and also watch the technology improve and bring all that stuff into these new performances and stuff. So. And I will say, like, just because they didn't get, uh, you know, Oscar recognition, I mean, Return of the King got, like, fucking crazy number of, like, Saturn Awards and, like, even SAG Awards, they got, like, a special one for Outstanding Cast, and that was, yeah. like, as an ensemble. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Thing. yeah. So, it, I mean, they definitely still, it, the acting did definitely get recognition. It's just the fucking Academy Awards are, like, if you're not a drama, fuck off, basically, yeah. in terms of right. acting awards. Right. So. Yeah. But sorry, we 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 diverted. <laughs> Chris Kirsten, back to your ph- yeah, philosophy no, 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 on hosting no, no. talent panels. <laughs> so in terms of talking to the actors, like I say, for me, if you're with a group of them, if there's several of the actors, it's not a lot you have to do. You just kind of wind them up and let them go because they will rip off each other, and and they're they're all really close friends, both from Lord of the Rings and from The Hobbit. Those those ensembles. And so they love seeing each other at these cons. For them, it's like little reunions every time. So you get them out on stage, and they basically will start telling stories about each other and, and reminiscing. And you know, it's like they're all sitting with a drink in their hand at the pub. Old home week. Up. Yeah. So that's super easy. It just occasionally you try and maybe bring them back on topic, or you know, but otherwise <laughs> that's easy. With the one-on-one, which you don't get to do often at cons, but I've done a lot of one-on-ones like telephone interviews and press interviews at like a big press events for Warner Brothers and stuff like that. If you get the pleasure of having a longer time with someone, then really delving in further into their craft is what fires them up and gets them inspired to tell you things and, and to explore with you. So that's kind of the angle that I've approached. And when I'm speaking on panels myself as opposed to hosting, then it's, it's kind of a different hat. It's that my, you know, my, my own real life work in theatre and my background in English literature and in teaching kind of poetry interpretation and all of that, it's bringing those academics to bear, which is so interesting to me. And, and is a different side of the fandom, but something that people really enjoy getting to explore. Again, I think exploring in, in depth more, you know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and I can see that for sure. Yeah, I definitely see that in your hosting and, and, and moderating kind of thing in terms of trying to get more to the those nuggets of acting and that right. kind of thing. And I have to say, that's how you become friends with these people, you know, that if you just go and ask... Yeah, that's what they want to talk about. Right. If you ask them the usual fan questions, it's like, okay, bye, nice to meet you. But if it's like, oh, let's talk about our profession and the craft and what, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, maybe we can continue this conversation over a beer, you know, so that's how that goes. And so I, I know you've both done a lot in terms of both those larger panels, but also more of the like just discussion-y kind of fan-run panels. Do you have a strong preference one way or the other for, for doing either of them? I mean, they, they definitely have, they both have their pros and cons. Cons. <laughs> um, I kind of prefer... <laughs> 
I kind of prefer the smaller panels. So for example, for those people that haven't been to Dragon Con, they do a lot of panels on shows and things that aren't really are even around anymore. So mm-hmm. you get and they're the rooms usually for the most part are smaller. Not always, but they tend to be a little smaller. So I think it creates a slightly more intimate atmosphere where people feel more connected to the conversation. They feel like they can add things and, you know, it really does become a discussion. Whereas if you're at a big convention like San Diego or New York, it's a lot harder usually to do things like that. Um, Yeah. People aren't having like back and forth conversations in Hall H. (laughs) Yeah, not really. Uh, Well, I don't think the One Ring has ever done a panel in Hall H. Uh, We did do one in Ballroom 20, which is the second largest room at San Diego, which was kind of scary, but also fun. Yeah, I tend to prefer the smaller sort of the fan discussions. I mean, getting to hang out with the actors and stuff is really cool, too. But it's also really fun to just chat with other fans and find out what their opinions on things are. Let's see. Moving on, every Tolkien fan has some size of a Tolkien collection. Do you have anything in particular that you would like to call out? Any, you know, one-of-a-kind items, personal favorites or anything like that that you'd like to tell our listeners about just to make them salivate with envy? (laughs) Um, I mean, I I have a lot of really cool stuff, for sure. And I have a lot of signed things, which is cool and fun and awesome and but I was thinking about this because you'd said in advance, you know, what's the thing in your collection? And, and there's so many things I love. But I, I did want to share a funny thing in my collection. So we, I mentioned before my friend Elron Hartheven, Paul, that you know as well, Tim, and Rebecca knows as well. And he went. He was one of our one of our fellow ring rates this past year at DragonCon. Our listeners know that very well. That's right. So, yes, Paul <laughs> was one of the ring rates. And. He went to Europe one summer, and he and I have traveled together a lot. We've had a lot of adventures. We've been to New Zealand together. We've been to Iceland together. He's come here to the UK. We've traveled around in the States a lot together. We've been to Alaska. We've done all kinds of journeys together. But for some reason, this one summer, he was traveling on his own, and he was in, I think, the Ukraine, and he bought for me a Lord of the Rings Russian doll, and it's obviously like a knockoff. It's not licensed product, <laughs> no, but it's no. and it's the most bizarre thing. So like the out external Russian doll is Frodo and Saruman together. Don't know why they would be together, but you know, oh, it's, you then, know, classic classic pairing. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then inside, oh, I forget what the like. One of them is Legolas. One of them is Gandalf. They're just kind of bizarre, and they're sort of pasted onto these dolls but you go down and you get to the last little doll and it's this kind of weird Victoria's Secrets angel so it's obviously being put in <laughs> a mistake like no that's a that's a little known little known non-canonical character that's right the right. angel in the, sexy, <laughs> in the sexy underwear so to me that that's got to be one of my favorite things because it's so ridiculous it's totally unofficial unlikely but it just cracks me up. And so in, of all the things that I'm looking at, even now as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my glass-fronted cabinets filled with cool collectibles. That's got to be one of my favorites. I mean, everybody says that Tolkien needs more you know, female characters. I don't think that's exactly what they were going for, though. 
I think that's just an AU Galadriel, actually. You know, just like a fit, like slash fic version of her. It's all, oh. it's all good. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's another. It's it, that's actually a character from one of the porn parodies. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, how about you? I know you've got a lot of a lot of pops, a lot of books, a lot of uh, figurines and stuff. Yeah, I think probably if you know, if I could only keep one thing, or if like you know, if, and I actually did have to save it. I actually did save this from an apartment fire that I had. Uh, it was uh, the first Lord of the Rings book that I bought was the 50th anniversary hardcover edition uh, that um, the illustrator Alan Lee did all the artwork for it. And it's a really gorgeous book. And through the years, I've gotten to have him sign it. And I've gotten to have a bunch of people from the Lord of the Rings sign it as well. So that's probably my favorite thing. I don't think I have anything weird or like not as like Kirsten's. I do have a salt and pepper shaker set that's uh, Gollum and Sam uh, that I bought and in Germany. Uh, that's kind of it. Just looks kind of weird, but yeah, nothing freaky or you know porn parody anything like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that both of yours like have like these are ones that are you know non sort of interesting and have some personal significance kind of thing. Do any of you, do either of you have anything like uh, anything screen used or anything like that? Like any, even minor? I'm trying to think if I, I do not do. I, I don't think I do. Well, I used to have one of the fake leaves from the tree that's over bag end. Oh, uh, okay. Um, uh, but I think tree? I have little stones that I put on Mount Sunday where they filmed Metacelled and stuff like that. But I, yeah, I that, that counts as screen used. It was probably on on screen. That's right. No, Not I don't wrong. think I've ever. I've, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of the cast about the things that they took from the set, and I know that like Graham McTavish has. I think all knows because, of course, you know we know with the prosthetics at the end of the day, every day they take <laughs> off, they have to rip off the, and and strictly speaking, they're all supposed to be destroyed. And I know that Graham collected one each of noses from his fellow boards and was planning to mount them at some point. And I, I don't know if he ever has, actually. I must ask him. But one time we were talking about it, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to get them all mapped so you can see all the different... Get them taxidermied. ...prosthetic noses, <laughs> you know. So the reason I hesitate... That would be an interesting like, conversation piece. <laughs> right? Has anyone ever given me a... But I don't think so. But, no, I mean, like, funnily enough, this is a complete non-secretary that the prosthetic noses made me think of it. Last night, Will Ferrell was on the Graham Norton show here. Graham is still doing his show, and, and people, people are calling into it rather than appearing on it live. And th this weekend is what would normally be the Eurovision Song Contest, which probably mm. means nothing, but it for people in Europe, it's kind of a big, just camp, ridiculous yeah, it's insanity. And Will Ferrell has met. Will Ferrell has made a movie. Oh, Eurovision song. Uh huh. Which oh, looks nice. like it's going to be absolutely hilarious. But one of the things that Graham Norton has been doing when they get people calling in as a guest because they're at home rather than come to the studio, he gets them to show them something cool that they have in their home that they've taken from a film set. Colbert's been doing that as well. Okay. Well, so what Will Ferrell had was fake. His fake testicles from, I think, Step Brother. Like, there's a scene in Step Brothers, I think, where he puts his testicles out on the drum kit. Yes. And he's in this box here, I have, and he gets at this, like, massive <laughs> bollocks. And he's like, 
I bring these out at dinner parties and, you know. So, <laughs> so Graham McTavish's collection of prosthetic noses is not nearly as scary as it could be when we think about prosthetics that other people have from movies. <laughs> yeah. And bringing that back to Tolkien, like you said, Colbert has been doing, uh, Colbert interviewed uh, Kate Blanchett a couple weeks ago, and that's how we learned that Kate Blanchett, for some reason, has Toriel's swords. Yes, I, uh, yeah. From the I Hobbit movies. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like those, those were, that was not from your character. And then she started getting a little sheepish about it. like, oh, wait, maybe I should not have these. You didn't see this. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we all know that a lot of the cast have things that they shouldn't really have. But right. I remember, you know, <laughs> Ewan McGregor being on Graham Norton and being asked, did he take one of the lightsabers from the set? And he's like shaking his head and, and, and then nodding and going, no, no, whilst yeah. he knows at the same time, I did not take. And he's like, mm. No, I definitely don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think everyone has stuff they shouldn't have from film sets. Yeah. Oh, I tell you what I do have. There's another weird and quirky thing. So, bizarre connection. I had a friend. He sadly died a few years ago, but he had worked on Broadway a long time doing wigs and makeup, and he just had the coolest stories. And then he kind of got out of the industry for various reasons, and he ended up having a job with a company that manufactures fake hair and fur for the movie industry. And that they do a lot of it. It's machine-made, but it's also a lot of hand-tied. And so when Peter Jackson was getting ready to do the Hobbit movies, they were looking into different fur that they wanted to use for wags and other furry creatures that were going to appear. And so the company sent them a whole load of samples of fur. And there was one particular fur that they chose to use in the end. And my friend who worked for the company gave me a piece of the fur. So it wasn't from the film set, but it was the same batch that was produced to be used for the film okay. set. So. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Warg for there's there's definitely some entendre to be had there, but I'll leave it that. So, I, like you both have sort of noted right now that the Tolkien fandom is in a little bit of a valley. You know, the Hobbit movies are you know came out the last one came out five or six years ago now, and so, but obviously we have the Amazon series, the you know. Jeff Bezos fucking boondoggle Amazon series coming up. So where do you, I mean, obviously that's going to be a big part of, of the future of Tolkien fandom, but do you have any other sort of ideas of how that might revitalize the fan base stuff you've already seen in terms of how that's revitalizing the fan base and other future Let's let's make some predictions about the future of Tolkien fandom and, and we'll look back in a f- five years and see if they held true. Well, <laughs> I'm waiting for the inevitable reboot of Maybe not Lord of the Rings. I mean, I probably someday, but I'm waiting for somebody to say, you know what? I think I could do The Hobbit better, and mm. and reboot it. I'm I would not be surprised. I mean, look how many times they've done redone uh, Spider Man. Just in the past <laughs> ten years, there have been what like four different Spider Man or something. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, I, I would. I still. Del Toro's That's exactly what I was going to say. As I, yeah, I still want to see Del Toro's uh, very much. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I. I mean, even if it was animated, like I think if they, if they wanted to do like a, an animated version of either Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, I think that could be really interesting. Yes, uh, which would also be a reboot from the animated versions in the seventies. But 
Yeah, I've I've heard tell of images of zombie mama kills from the yeah. Del Toro version that uh, sound like sound like they would be epic as fuck. Uh, yes, we both did to Rebecca. Yeah, we we got to see some images from the uh, the movie that could have been, and uh, yeah, it was it would have been it would have been. I mean, I mean, if you know, you know any of Guillermo del Toro's movies, they, it would have fit perfectly into any of his films. And uh, yeah, it was pretty epic. I wish we could share them, but we ever, no, won't ever be able to do that ever. <laughs> no, we did beg, but it was like, nope. <laughs> where the fandom goes really depends on the success or lack thereof of any future projects. So obviously Amazon is the big thing. The fandom won't go away. There has been a Tolkien fandom since the Lord of the Rings books came out and then particularly from the 60s on. And and that's not going anywhere. And, you know, things like the Tolkien Society in Oxford here, that, that fandom isn't going anywhere. But the Mythopoeic Society, which has been running for 50 plus years. Right, and, yeah. right. The right. big pop cult fandom is what ebbs and flows based on what's going on at any given time. Yeah. So the Amazon series, as that ramps up and gets nearer, that we will get more and more people. We're already seeing more of an influx on our like Facebook group and Instagram and stuff like that. People starting to be drawn towards the Tolkien fandom as they hear things about the Amazon show. If the Amazon show is a huge success, then we at Torn will be inundated. We will, you know, we we're not as big a player as we were because back in the day. There really wasn't anything else on the internet. There was no other mm-hmm. forum, even for the studios to use. They used the OneRing.net as their outlet because they didn't have their own website outlets at that time, as hard as that is to believe. And now, of course, they do all their own interacting with fans. But, you know, if the Amazon show is a huge hit or if there is another, like a reboot or whatever, then the fandom will become huge again for however long that is popular. So we're just bracing ourselves. We're anticipating that that could be the case, that there could be another huge wave that One Ring will hopefully surf along on top of and be part of and stay current and stay relevant for the fan base. If, on the other hand, the Amazon series is an absolute damn squib, then we'll go back into another trough and, and we'll go from there. But it's, it's not going away. Fair enough. Anything else to add, Rebecca, to the future of Tolkien fandom? No, I, I agree with uh, Kristen that, um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the fandom isn't going anywhere. I mean, it's just, you know, the level might go up and down as it has been. I mean, we were there during the lean years between The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, where we saw it pretty low, and then it got high for a while, and now it's kind of back down to, I would say, maybe that pre-between Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. But yeah, we'll see how the Amazon show does when it ever comes out. You know, again, if there is the, you know, inevitable reboot remake, we'll we'll see uh Yeah. We'll see what happens. I really hope that they don't touch the Lord of the Rings movies cuz I don't think that those ever do need to be remade, but I don't know. At least not in my <laughs> lifetime, hopefully. Fingers Agreed. crossed. Agreed. <laughs> Unless, you know, if they want to re-release them with, you know, even the, you know, extra extra Extended editions. <laughs> Six-hour versions? I don't know if my fucking liver can take that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there definitely have to be an intermission. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, an intermission you know, for a liver transplant? Right. Dream those movies, just so you know. 
You can no, watch no. without drinking alcohol. Once a year, I have to watch them. I'll drink it the whole time. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fantastic. I think that is an awesome sort of view into the inside of, of Tolkien fandom and one of the biggest uh, fan communities of, of uh, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings movies in particular. So before we sort of head off, is there anything that uh, either Kirsten, you or Rebecca are sort of working on right now that you want to talk about, whether it's Tolkien or Torn related or not, you know, projects that you want to tell our listeners to keep an eye out for, or maybe some, some stuff that you're selling or anything like that? I have a couple of things. Um, in terms of the One Ring, apart from working on the kind of website reboot, I'm working with a group, a company called OSHA Slings who make baby slings, but also make fabulous fabrics and throws and wraps and scarves and beautiful items. And we are probably, I hope in the next few weeks, going to be doing a competition with them where our followers of an artistic event can create a pattern of their own that OSHA will then make into some kind of fabric or something. So that's kind of fun. And and hopefully, as I say, should be running in a couple of weeks and give people something to to think about and do whilst they're still on lockdown or social distancing. And then at the end of can, can you spell that, uh, that company for our listeners? OSHA is O-S-C-H-A. And if you just look up OSHA or OSHA slings, but just OSHA on its own, O-S-C-H-A, you'll find it. It's an Edinburgh based company and they do not only talking there, they have, a, but they do all their own graphic design for their fabrics. And they also make things like mugs and things. And it's all locally made and it's all they design in-house. They're licensed, again, by middle-earth enterprises for their Tolkien line. And their stuff is really beautiful. And so I think it's really cool, the idea that a fan could design something that they will then work into one of their products is, is a really yeah. cool thing. And then at the end of next year, we are hoping, depending on the situation in the world with coronavirus, but we're hoping at the end of 2021 to have a big get-together in New Zealand to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the release of The Fellowship of the Ring and, you know, just to celebrate the fandom still being alive and relevant. And Yes, I've, I've, told, I've told our listeners about our plans to, to join for that in the past and also that that trip is Jeopardy famous as well because my friend Stephen, who is a past uh, guest on the podcast, uh, mentioned that he had put aside some of his winnings to join us for that trip as well, him and his wife. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, we're definitely <laughs> still cool. I hope it's far enough in the future that it won't be affected by all the shenanigans going on right now. Yeah, yeah. New Zealand has has come out of this thing smelling like roses, but that's partially because their borders have been closed right. for months now. Because they're not so. to celebrate the 20th anniversary. But so, you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. those are the things that I'm working on for the One Ring. And then professionally, if I may just say, uh, at the end of last year, I set up my own opera company called Enigma Chamber Opera. And we did our first show. Thank goodness we managed to squeak it in under the wire. We did it in January. Mm -hmm. So we were able to do our debut production in January. But actually, I'm busy at the moment with creating an online production where we're going to make a little kind of movie of an an opera by Mozart, keeping with Enigma's mission statement of taking well-known, familiar operas and doing them in a totally different way. And I'm actually in the process of rewriting the text the English text for this opera at the moment, and we're going to create a kind of 
edit together a movie and and rather than just kind of what a lot of opera companies are doing is streaming their stage productions which is mm-hmm. and wonderful to see but i was like no i want to do something that actually takes into account that we are social distancing as part of the plot and as part of the story so we're kind of creating an opera which is about creating opera in the time of coronavirus so oh, nice that's what I'm working on at the moment. So if anyone is, if any listeners are interested in opera, uh, if you check out on Facebook Enigma Chamber Opera and you can follow what we're doing there and late, later this summer, I think possibly end of June, beginning of July, that, that little movie will be out on YouTube for people to watch. Nice. And I remember, if I recall correctly, your uh, premiere production was, was quite well reviewed as well. It certainly was. We had an amazing review in the Boston Globe. The show was in Boston in the, in the United States. Uh, two completely sold-out performances and uh, an absolutely stellar review in the Boston Globe. So that was a really good launch for our company. You know, we're a very small company, but I've been working in the opera business for 20 years now, about the same time as the length of time as the One Ring has been around. <laughs> Actually, a little less than 20 years. But I have been working in the opera business for a long time, and I have a lot of friends who are very well-established professional opera singers and so although we're a small company we're working with people who are you know at the top of their game as performers it's not kind of a we're starting out as a company but we're not working with performers who are starting out in their careers if that makes sense so it's a very Mm. high level although i say it myself it's a very high level of (laughs) that we're producing on a budget in a small way but to the highest level that we can that we can manage so please do check out the chamber opera if you're interested in that kind of thing all right awesome rebecca how about you what are you working on and, and putting out not much <laughs> my day-to-day life right now is pretty much the same as it was pre-coronavirus uh i'm a distribution representative with coca-cola north america and uh even during this pandemic people still want soda so <laughs> Yes, we do. Uh, Trust me. It's one of the only things keeping me sane, too. Yeah, Coke series. (laughs) Basically, if I didn't have my Red Label Coke, I would not be functioning and doing this podcast right now. So, because I I sip a giant bottle of it. Well, I I thank you for that. I thank you for that job security. So, we appreciate your efforts, obviously. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I appreciate having that job security. That, uh, you know, as long as people still keep drinking soda, I'll, I'll be okay. But other than that, uh, Tim said earlier, I do do a, a run a uh, Atlanta Tolkien fans group that we're still trying to maintain online. So we've been having a couple of Zoom meetups, and uh, we're going to try to have a uh, an online viewing of one of the Lord of the Rings films coming up soon. So I've been trying to figure out I the best way to do that. I hope I can join this one. The last one was right in the middle of our move, and so it didn't work. But I'm yeah. hoping to make the next one. <laughs> Well, hopefully we can uh, come up with a, a good way for everybody to be able to to access it. Yeah. That's but true. yeah, other otherwise, yeah, I I got I got nothing. I'm sorry. I've just been watching a lot of TV and video games. And <laughs> do you want to tell people about your your Etsy store? Uh, well, that's I, I do also do uh, make uh, sort of gothic and horror inspired jewelry and hair accessories and that's kind of on the back burner right now too just because at first it was well with you know safety precautions i wasn't sure if you know how to go about getting everything out safely and honestly i've been a little uninspired so i think i need to i need to uh maybe take stock of a few things and try to find that spark of inspiration again 
Do you still have some stuff listed like on your store though that was made previously that can be purchased or? Um, I do have a few things. So if you go to Death's Kiss Designs, I've got a few things up. Not a whole lot, but a few things. So yeah, under Etsy, if you go to, it's just Death's Kiss Designs. And uh, yeah, I might try to get that going again once I uh, again once I find my my spark of inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that sparks of inspiration are not right. coming as frequently at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the nice things, if, if there is anything nice about this whole horrifying situation that we find ourselves in at the moment, is that you can join in with stuff that you, because it's become virtual, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to join in with. So, you know, the Atlanta Tolkien meetup, generally speaking, you can only be part of that if you're in Atlanta. But right now, you can be part of it wherever in the world you are, because it's happening online mm-hmm. anyway. That's true. And that has been kind of nice that I've been able to even though I'm back in Scotland at the moment, been able to do things with friends in America as easily as I can do things with friends in Britain. And obviously it's not the same as being there in person, but it has been kind of nice to be able to join in with communities that I wouldn't otherwise be able to be part of. And I, I hope that will continue once we're all able to get out there in real life again, which please God, I pray it isn't too long, but I hope we'll still be able to have those connections online because it's really nice being able to be with, in inverted commas, people all over the world. No, yes. I, I agree. There's definitely people I've I've been able to like reconnect with, like people that I worked at Disney World with that like previously, you know, they were busy with their day-to-day in-person lives and stuff like that. And now they're spending a lot more time online. So I'm able to, you know, get some, you know, FaceTime with them through Zoom or through Facebook video chats or whatever kind of thing. So yeah, nice. All right. Well, with that, we can uh, finish off our meat of the episode and move on to our final segment that does not have a sting, which is uh, Geek Cred, which is where everybody just goes around and recommends something that they are digging on lately uh, or, you know, could be new, could be old for our listeners to potentially check out if it sounds interesting to them. So I'm going to go back to our regular co-hosts since they've been a little quiet here. Let's go to Mark first. Mark, what's your Geek Cred for this week? Uh, first of all, follow me on Instagram, MT underscore Willette. Uh, always drawing something on there for you to look at. Also, you can go buy a print at blackgreengallery.com. What I've been doing this week is mostly just tuning my machine for certain performance things. So I've been kind of... Your new desktop? Not, yeah, my new desktop. So uh, I would actually, what I have been doing is playing Doom Eternal on here. And if you haven't played that, go play Doom Eternal because it is a... Very violent, rip-roaring good time. <laughs> I'm hoping Paul's going to recommend what I'm, I think he's going to recommend because uh, I listened to it yesterday and it was quite good. So we'll see. <laughs> All right, Paul, what's your geek cred? Mark's right that I was going to recommend <laughs> yeah. music, but there are three albums that have come out this week, and they are all excellent. So Moses Sumney, Charlie XCX, and Perfume Genius have all released new music this week, and all three albums are incredible, but I have to go with the new Perfume Genius album. It's just so good. I've I've yeah. been following his career since his first full release, and this is now his fifth album. And he hasn't had a bad one yet. And this one is just as good, if not better, than the previous ones. So like go listen to the new Perfume Genius album. It's amazing. Yeah. It was really I listened to it finally last night and was like, oh well, I hope he talks about this this week because it was well worth the time to listen to. I'm going to put it on again when we're done recording here. So, yeah. so nice. good. 
Let's go to our guest then. Rebecca, what is your what do you want to recommend to our listeners? Well, a couple of things. Um, as I've already shown by my Tolkien fandom, I'm, you know, a little late to the game, but I finally started watching Community. <laughs> which Oh no. For some, now for that some it's on reason, Netflix. Yes, now that it's on Netflix. And I mean, obviously I was aware of the show. I, I was aware for some reason I just it didn't seem like something I would like, so I never watched it. But now that it's on Netflix, I thought, okay, I'll watch it and other than a couple of characters, I love the show so much. Like, honestly, I just want to see a show with just Troy and Abed. I would watch that. <laughs> you want to see um, Troy and Abed in the morning? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would absolutely watch it. Uh, the other thing that um, I really enjoyed is on Disney Plus, uh, a show called Prop Culture, where <laughs> you know they my, have... That was my geek cred last week. Was it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've really been enjoying seeing, you know, them going... him. Uh, going through the the Disney warehouses and seeing props from Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Tron and The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins, and you know, and him getting to talk to Rick Moranis, who famously does not do a lot of any, interviews, any, yeah, but any, for him really to talk really. to him about doing you know those movies was really fun to watch, and uh, you know, I may have teared up a little, and then it also made me realize that you know I I need to, to make a lot more money. So that I can buy those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. Kirsten, what is your geek cred for our listeners? Uh, I have two things. One that people can watch now and one that I would recommend that they watch coming up in June, but that obviously I won't be on your podcast again, so I'm going to recommend it now. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen Ricky Gervais's series Afterlife. It's on Netflix. Yes. It's amazing. Genius. And the second series has come out recently. I haven't actually seen the second season yet, but I gather it's equally brilliant. And yeah. I I have never particularly been a Ricky Gervais fan. I used to just find him really annoying. And this series just completely won me over to him. I just thought it was so incredible and profound and really funny, but also deeply insightful and moving about the grief process and about just being a human being. So I really recommend it's on Netflix and it's just called Afterlife and Ricky Gervais doesn't need my help at all. It's, you know, a huge <laughs> hit, but I really yeah. recommend it. And then there's a lot of online theater and opera and dance and stuff streaming right now, which is kind of cool. Some of it less cool than others. And obviously you can't <laughs> see my show for a while, but the old Vicar London theater is going to start streaming some of its past productions at the beginning of June, and the first one they're streaming is their stage show of A Monster Calls. Now, talking about things which are about grieving and death and life, like Ricky Gervais series, I don't know if you guys saw the movie A Monster Calls. Did, you, did any of you see that movie? No. Oh, you've got to see it. You have to see it. But you have to have... I will, I will add it to the list. You have to have, like, ten boxes of tissues with you when you watch it. It is an unbelievably... Brilliant. I haven't read the book, but it was originally a book, and then it's a movie, which is just a staggeringly brilliant movie. And then a stage play was written of it, and in 2018, The Old Vic did a stage production of A Monster Calls, which I haven't seen, and they're going to be streaming it for a week from the 5th of June. So I really recommend check out the movie, and then from the 5th of June, check out The Old Vic's live stage show of a monster calls uh, you know it's just an unbelievable story i really really recommend it nice cool yeah afterlife has been on my 
like Netflix to watch list for a while. But especially right now when I'm physically separated from my wife, I don't really want to be watching movies about wives dying when my wife is still in fucking coronavirus central USA kind of thing. So someday, someday I'll get to it. I, I mean, I love Ricky Gervais. I fucking Derek, just that show fucking tore my soul out and wrung it out to fucking dry kind of thing. So but yeah, I will get to it. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, so don't watch a monster calls yet either if you don't want to watch things about people dying. But to me, when I'm dealing with grief and all those issues, I actually find it cathartic and supportive to watch things about how people have coped. You know, it's the C.S. Lewis thing. We read to know that we're not alone. This is how Mm -hmm. we cope by seeing other people going through the same thing and being like, oh, yeah, that's part of being human, Mm. which is also a good show. (laughs) (laughs) all right my geek cred for this week which is somewhat apropos because we did spend some time this uh episode shitting on the star wars prequels uh and our listeners will know that i am a mild prequel apologist and mild uh, all right all right all right all right (laughs) and that uh and that uh you know i i really didn't have any like major issues with the sequel trilogy either um and so uh in a lot of groups you know anytime anything star wars gets posted even if it has nothing to do with like in particular the sequel trilogy some fucking neckbeard will bring in and say like, oh, Ryan Johnson, blah, 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 fucking Ray. God damn it. And I just want to fucking like reach to the screen and throttle them. And so in response to that, like somebody posted something like that and there was just all this fucking like garbage, toxic, totally unrelated to the actual post comments. And somebody uh, replied and said... Like, is there anywhere online where I can go that doesn't have this fucking, like, shitty arm of Star Wars fandom? And somebody tagged a group called Star Wars fans who actually like the movies. (laughs) (laughs) And so I instantly fucking joined that group. And (laughs) so, like, it's just now this little corner of, of Facebook that I have where I can go to get away from, like, the really... You know, I have no problem with people that have legitimate you know, story-based kind of uh, gripes with uh, particularly this, the, the prequel trilogy. I'm less forgiving with people that have major issues with the sequel trilogy because I, at least the most vocal people that have issues with the sequel trilogy are often, it's often like really thinly veiled misogyny or racism. It's true. I hate women and I hate those you know, movies. The, <laughs> For what it's worth, I love the sequels. I'm only anti-sequels. Yeah. yeah. Um, Same. And so now I've got this little corner of the internet where I can go where everybody is pretty positive, you know, is is generally positive about all of Star Wars kind of thing. So, you know, there's plenty of if there's plenty of places for you to go online to complain about Star Wars, but not a lot of places where you can go to really celebrate this franchise that is one of my probably top three fandoms kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, So it's just nice to, to be reminded that there are some people out there that just love Star Wars warts and all kind of thing (laughs) all right so with that we can finish off this week's episode thank you very much for rebecca and kirsten both for joining us it was a pleasure thanks for having me yeah thank you so yeah thank you very much for listening um if you would like to uh you know have any feedback on our episode in terms of what we discussed you can do so on our Facebook page, which is Dance Robot Dance. Ah, God damn it. Facebook.com slash Dance Robot Dance Podcast. Down, I, I can free ball it. Free wheel it. No, you've, never, you've never done it properly <laughs> once. 
I edit this shit. I know. You've never got it right. <laughs> That's part of the charm. It's tradition at this point. It is. Uh, our Twitter is at DRD underscore podcast. Uh, you can email us at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. And if you are not already subscribed to our podcast, you can do so on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and on Spotify, or most places that podcasts can be caught. So with that, I am Tim saying have a good night and stay safe and wash your hands. Uh, Say good night, Mark. Good night, guys. Say good night, Paul. Good night. Say good night, Kirsten. Good night. And say good night, Rebecca. Good night. And join us next week for our 200th episode extravaganza. Uh, Yeah, I cannot fucking believe that we have made it to 200 episodes, but we can. So we're going to do just uh, uh, to tease it a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of a walk down memory lane of the past almost four years of doing this weekly thing. So, all right. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, yeah, go watch some Tolkien. Read some Tolkien. Listen to Tolkien. Listen to fucking Andy Circus. Do do Gollum on his Hobbitathon, or and we'll talk to you next time.